0: This is The Guardian.
1: Welcome to the final word Ashes Daily. I'm Emma John and I'm in the UK watching England's worst ever tour of Australia, so you don't have to. We'll be heading over to my colleagues Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon in Melbourne shortly, but first, a summary of the day's play. Australia won the Ashes. I know it's brief, but to be fair, so was England's performance. They managed to bat just 15 overs at the MCG, which meant the Aussie team were able to start their celebrating before lunch. Say what you like about this England team, and I suspect we've all got a few words for them, but they do like to wrap up a game quickly. We'll mark it down on their report card as an E for efficiency. They get a C2 for consistency. Their batting on the final day at the MCG was entirely true to their form throughout this series. A quick fold collapse with Joe Root offering the only hint of opposition. He and Ben Stokes had arrived at the crease with a clear intent to play some strokes, although even that sounds a little grander than what actually transpired. They had put on exactly 11 runs when Mitchell Stark bowled Stokes with a ball that speared middle stump, and Johnny Bairstow stuck around for half an hour before Scott Boland pinned him in his first over of the day. It was another great day for Boland. He ended Root's resistance, drawing an edge to first slip, then scooped up the tail like a hot spoon through ice cream. The Test debutant finished with six wickets for seven runs off four overs while the honour of firing the final nail into England's hastily prepared coffin went to Cameron Green. When Green bowled James Anderson and the on-field celebrations began, the margin of victory felt irrelevant. Australia didn't win this test by an innings and 14 runs, and they didn't win the series by three games to nil. They beat this England team the way a royal flush beats a pair of twos. They beat them the way an asteroid beat the dinosaurs. And here to tell us more about how they did it, Adam and Jeff in Melbourne.
0: Day three at the MCG. Extraordinary. Uh, the last time I remember seeing a test over this early was Australia in Gaul in 2016 when they <laughs> got absolutely flogged and I think Mitchell Stark took nine wickets in the match, but they got poleaxed. This was a poleaxing. This was embarrassing. I, like, I know we've tried to look for bright sides for England. We've tried to have that breadth of perspective but there are no bright sides here this was a surrender this was a humiliation 68 all out I mean there were 67 all out in Headingley and we know how that turned out in 2019 but 68 all out in the match Australia it only struck me about an hour after play had finished Australia made 267 and they won by an innings how do you win by an innings?
2: Yeah, it's the lowest first inning score to win you a Test match by an innings for 75 years. Jesus. And, I mean, it's a 19th century scorecard, yeah. really. Or an early 20th century mm. at best. The way that you just don't see teams bowled out in, you know, 27.4 overs too often in Test cricket. Such was the, the shock and awe tactics last night. And then this morning for the first let's call it 20 minutes, maybe even half an hour. You're seeing Joe Root driving nicely down the ground, Ben Stokes trying to score and thus trying to just erode what was left of the deficit. But as soon as Stark goes, I think he went, he changed direction to around the wicket to Stokes. Mm-hmm. Well, might have been over the wicket. And he was around. He was way. around
0: the wicket to root, and then he stayed over the wicket to Stokes That's and it. got that one. That's to what stay it was. Low. And he got the
2: one just to keep his line, hits middle stump, and from there I, I saw Joe Root walk down the pitch and do a bit of gardening. And I was thinking, a penny for his thoughts. He's probably thinking, oh, it's Bearstone, then it's Butler, and it's a tail. Already had a night watchman last night. It's just overwhelming for Root and mm. for England. And, you know, there, there are so many different statistical pointers as to how brutal this was. Let, let me run through a few of them for you. Please. England have now had, well, England had in a completed year now, 2021 is over as far as test cricket is concerned for them, 82 scores between 0 and 10 from their top seven. That's the most ever. They had 54 ducks, which is the joint ever. And um, they had 13 scores of 200 or fewer, or uh, lower than 200 completed innings, 13 times Hold in 50. Out, out. Out, yeah, for yes, under so that's 200. what I mean. Yeah not, yeah, not not like innings that were incomplete. So they'll bowled out for uh, that 13 times in 15 test matches, the second worst ever. I mean, we can talk about England not having their fast bowlers here and thus not being able to implement mm. Plan A. I've said that a number of times, but... Park that to one side because James Anderson bowled splendidly yesterday and it made no difference because they were bowled out for 185 and 68 on a track that was, yes, challenging. Uh, there was 11 mils of grass on it and it was still seeming on day three, but not as challenging as those scorecards reflect. It. There's something broader going on. And and a,
0: a track in which, in being challenging, should say to you as a batting side, if we can put something together, we can win this test match. Uh, it should be an inspiration rather than an impediment to to look at that surface and think that there's a there's a route to victory here and that's what I was looking at before the day began okay Stokes and Root out there Root's never made a a hundred in Australia we've all talked about that he needs a hundred and nine to go to the the top of the runs in a calendar year all the rest of it and I thought well maybe he does it maybe maybe that's the thing maybe genius tells but you know it was it almost felt like as soon as the first wicket went, it was just going to slide and uh, i mean scott boland 's spell let 's come to this because this is this is an extraordinary achievement at one point, he had six wickets for five runs after taking two last night. <laughs> he runs through another four this morning he ends up with six for seven that's his completed analysis in the innings no matter what happens from here he may not play in Sydney if Stark is fit to go around again and and Hazelwood comes back I suspect they'll probably rest Stark in Sydney and keep Boland I think that's what is likely to happen but it's not impossible that he misses out he may never play a test again but he will always have six for seven at the mcg an extraordinary analysis from a bowler who just did the basics and did what he normally does and did it well
2: yeah they're they're, they're junior figures aren't they six for seven from four overs is what you see in the under 12 it's not what you expect to see uh, in a test match and you're right. I mean, I think he will play test cricket again because this has earned him the right to another opportunity. But yeah, yeah. it could have gone the other way. if He you know, bowled nicely in the first innings, did nothing wrong. He, he might not have necessarily done too much in the second dig and it could have been akin to what happened to Michael Niesel last week. But yeah. he, he... Useful. Will, he,
0: thanks for coming. Yeah, useful. You know.
2: Played your role. You're one of six seamers used in a, not a rotation um, policy, but um, in a group that's yeah. that, that's showing no fidelity to bags of wickets. Dry Richardson didn't play here after taking five for 42 in the second innings at Adelaide. I'm, I expect Richardson will play again in the series. But my point is is that it could have been one and out. Mm. Now it won't be. But, yeah, that, that broader the spirit of the day. I mean, the MCG had 41,000 people in for 80 minutes of cricket and they will never forget it. They won't regret it. None of them will say, oh, gee, only 80 minutes of cricket. They'll mm-hmm. all be able to say they were there the day that Scott Boland took six for seven in four overs. Absolutely.
0: And the I think what was really important in that spell was how he picked up the wicket of Joe Roots. So you could diminish some of the wickets. You could say last night, you know, Hermid is spooked. Then he gets the night watchman. Then he gets Bairstow with a, a sort of dicey LBW call that ends up being umpire's call on both impact and clipping the off stump as, as Johnny Bairstow sort of played across it and it hit him almost outside the line. Uh, one, one way you would have thought you'd normally be spared, except I think the umpire was a bit confused by the bat coming across. It made it look like it had hit him more directly in front than it had but the piece of bowling that he uses to get Root, where he bowls that little bit straighter, he pitches it up a bit more, but he still gets that same seam movement to deck away, draws Root into the drive. Root's been driving straight really nicely. Goes for that shot because that ball's there for it, except there's the seam movement. It takes the edge. I mean... It's just a perfect bit of seam bowling.
2: Yeah, I mean, you see those spells sometimes when a bowler looks like they're a chance of taking a wicket every ball and in all three overs, three overs, the bowl and bowl today, all 18 deliveries that he sent down today, he looked a chance of taking a wicket. You focus on the root dismissal, I'll do so, the best I one. He was picked for the MCG because they, they sense that he just understands the length to bowl here. Since Matt Page took over as curator, his numbers are extraordinary. We've referenced those already because he continues to hit the top of off stump. And the Bearstow dismissal, yeah, unlucky, I agree. If you double umpire's call, you're stiff. Mm. And the fact that he was beaten on the outside edge, back pad, it didn't look out to me initially and umpire's call got him the, the wicket. But... If you think about it, your job as a fast bowler is to hit the top of off stump, mm-hmm. and that's where that ball was going—the very top of off stump. That's because he's just taught himself how to bowl a perfect length at this ground. Yeah. And again, we, we we referenced it last night, but we'll do so again now. Credit to the selectors for having the foresight to pick a guy who has shown a, a capacity to be a match winner at this particular venue. There was a contrast. Andy Zaltzman, I was talking to before, before play from Test match, especially as the the contrast is when Ben Duckett got picked to play for England back in 2016. Mm. He was playing second division county cricket on effectively green seamers in the days when there was no toss. I'm pretty sure, and um, and it was heavily tilted in favour of seam bowlers who were bowling about 115 kilometres an hour. Right. Then he was asked to open the batting on Test in Bangladesh against two spinners, and then the same. <laughs> so there, there's that model of yeah. blooding a guy into Test cricket, sure. or, or there's the bowling model, which is you you lay it out for them in their best possible chance of success, and and Bowen mm. um, took it with both hands, and and we'll talk about this a bit more in the Hall of Fame, I suppose, but. it, it was special for a number of reasons.
0: Yeah, I, I will go through that um, in just a moment on the show, but we need to reflect on the fact that the ashes are done. They're decided hmm. in what, 12 days? 11 uh, days and 80 oh, minutes. Yep.
2: And a lot was made of this in 8203 when Australia did the job in 10 days. It was the quickest retention ever. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if this is the second quickest. It probably isn't. There was probably one resolved in 11 yeah. days. But nevertheless, 11 days and 80 minutes, it's... It's, it's uh, disingenuous to call this 12 days. Yeah, if you don't I, get to the end of the first session. Well, that's right. And the fact that Brisbane finished in, in a yeah. you know, in a session on, on the fourth day as well, it reinforces just what a mismatch this is. That's, it's a great measure to assess what a mismatch this has been across three test matches so far. Even at Adelaide when it got to the final stanza it was with Australia winning by 275 runs after sort of brave resistance for a couple of sessions but as we pointed out last night England are yet to win entirely a day on the tour yep I'm Nick Friedman I'm Lee Alec Murray
1: and I'm Leah President and this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect
2: I remember, what was that?
0: (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back.
1: You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices So, it comes back to this broader picture stuff that I know we've talked about before. You mentioned 115 kilometer per hour seamers in April. That's the kind of preparation. That's what happens in county cricket. We On the, the TMS interviews, we asked both Root and Silverwood, does your system, can it produce players who are good enough to handle this? And they both, you know, they didn't want to be seen to be sledging their current players but they both said that's something that we'll need to look at after this you know this is this isn't something we can answer now but they certainly weren't denying that was the case they were uh, the broader structural problem is and I know we can slam England and say they were hopeless and say they were weak and whatever and people will and Joe Root was talking about needing to get courage back you know pride back in the badge and all the rest of it I'm going to put it this way. You can be as proud and as passionate as you want. You can be bursting with Justin Langer pride about going out there for your country. You can be weeping a solitary tear at the national anthem. It can mean everything to you. And if you're Zach Crawley who hasn't played cricket in months, how are you supposed to go out there and succeed? Exactly. If you're Johnny Bairstow, who hasn't played cricket in months, how are you supposed to do it? it? If you're players who've come in, you know, Dan Lawrence might come in for the next test match. How the hell is he supposed to score runs? If you haven't been given the grounding, if you don't play a quality of cricket at home that is good enough to prepare you,
2: what chance have you got? There are myriad things here to, to pull at First of all, the England system is contested space, and I acknowledge that. I acknowledge there'll be people watching here who, who, who want to punch the screen when we when we talk about this, but for a long time there, there's been discussion around the 18 counties and whether that's too diluted with talent at the top. That, that'll that invariably be a conversation again. But on the other hand, I I, I understand that, that people do have frustration about when county cricket's played, pushed to, the, as they say, the margins of the summer, a lot mm. of it in April and Barely May, a lot summer. of it in September, not so much in the middle of the summer. I also understand the financial imperative of having short-form cricket, to help fund the game through that part of the season as well. There's no perfect way of resolving that. But where I where I see there being gaps is that well one the preparation on this tour. It used to be a five test match tour would go hand in hand with six tour games. You'd play every state. And that's not going back to the 70s when they'd play, you know, New South Wales country and, you know, yeah. whoever else was floating about. Sure. This is only as recently as 2002, 2003 I reckon they played all, all six state teams. That doesn't happen anymore. Mm. Now I know we're in a, in covid conditions in this particular series and that was harder to engineer, but and running off the back of a T20 World Cup, and, and it's all—it's all, it's all yes, about scheduling. how
0: condensed. The, the schedule is because yep. how are you supposed to have the time if you if you do that the tour takes four months. Or it, it,
2: well, it, does. Will, will, it takes longer, sure, but but it's necessary in order to rest back some of this competitive balance. It's going yep. to be five nil. It's going to be three five nils in the space of five Ashes series in Australia with a yep. four nil throw in that would have been five nil if Melbourne wasn't a shit heap yeah. four years ago, probably. In balance of probabilities, is that had that been a timeless match, Australia probably would have won that as well. So, with ten eleven being this stark outlier, yep. and I get that there was so much attention. I mean, you know the Edge documentary documents beautifully how Andy Flower brought that team together. They got Australia at a great time when they were on the decline, England at the peak of their powers and and all the rest of it. So again, it's not about one solution, it's about acknowledging that England were destined to do poorly here and that's not good enough. And that's not good enough from a scheduling perspective, the international schedule the way it is, what they've done here in Australia. I come back to the idea they had to quarantine at all. They didn't need the quarantine in Queensland. That was a decision to make sure the first test was at the Gabba. Had they quarantined in any other well, not in any other, in New South Wales or Victoria... Had they arrived
0: in any other state? They could
2: have played a couple of proper warm-up games and had freedom of movement and all the rest of it, not needing to be uh, in a hotel for 14 days. These things might have made a marginal difference, but, yes, the systemic questions... And, by the way, this isn't saying, oh, it's the 100's fault. You see a bit of this. It's the 100's fault. It's the... No, 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 no. You know, what happened today at the MCG, how can you blame the 100 when the 100 started this year? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's irrational thinking. Yeah,
0: the 100's three weeks of cricket. That hasn't made, made yeah. or broken the difference no. either way, but... But you cannot win a test series if you don't have any batting in 2010 11 they had bell cook trot battle harden batsman Peterson, you know, they had generational Strauss.
2: greats and battle hardened types yeah. have been around for a while and they don't have that here I mean that stat that's been doing the rounds about since 2000 and oh, I want to say 14 the highest average for a player who's debuted for England is Rory Burns with an average of 31.5 yeah. and again blunt measures and all yep. the rest but it, it tells a story that's unavoidable now for English cricket that if they ever want to be successful in Australia again, things need to change and I don't think by the way it's just an England thing playing away from home, you know, you pop Australia in Asian conditions they will be there nine times this year especially when they're in India why don't they do well there well mm. that's because we, we don't see enough I suppose reciprocity when it comes to way tours and I think there's something yeah. to be looked at there about getting more English teams at a junior level or let's call the England Lions why don't they come here every second year mm. and, and play against every state for example I think there's there are areas we can improve on that middle tier between domestic cricket and the top flight
0: right you know more yeah more ways to to gain that that exposure which is so, what India have done by the way so Australia they they've ripped through this they didn't need to be good with the bat I mean they some of that batting frailty for for Australia was exposed they were bowled out for 267 yeah you know as a competitive-ish total on this surface um and they ended up absolutely strolling it in much more easily than they should have, but their bowling was so good in this test. Their bowling's been so good throughout the series. I want to put a, a, a laser pointer on Mitchell Stark because he yep. he was questioned, before the series even, there were questions about, is he still good enough to be an automatic pick? Should he be in there? Should someone like Jai Richardson be in there ahead of him? Has he had his time? All of the rest of it. He's been the constant while the other big two bowlers have missed. He had to lead the attack in Adelaide. He did that really well. He's been effective. Like, he's had bad overs, but he's been effective in almost every spell at some point. He's got key wickets at key times consistently throughout the series. I think um, this is for me this is his best series for a long time that I can remember I think that the Australian public are at peace with what Mitchell Stark is at last but he's been better he's been much more consistent here than he has in some no, series okay sure yeah, that's
2: true and, and you know he has had bad test matches and has had series where he's fallen off quite considerably yep. uh, India at Brisbane earlier this year stands out as one of those but I think that People understand more and more now that a guy who relies on such an athletic approach and, you know, left arm really giving it his all, trying to take wickets with every delivery, he, he's not like Pat Cummins who lands it in the proverbial shoebox. Stark will never be that guy. He'll never be like Josh Hazelwood. He does a different thing. And they all complement each other quite well and with Stark uh, you know we're, we're talking about what happened today but back on day one he bowled 12 overs in the middle and final sessions and picked up a couple of wickets after only bowling three before lunch Cummins bowled ten before lunch Stark was held back got up ahead of steam and bowled as well as his bowled mm. uh, at different points uh, through that day and then today when just at the moment when Root and Stokes looked like okay they might be they might be kind of finding their way here mm-hmm. it's Stark who makes the intervention yeah. it was Stark last night with two and two so I agree with you and I'm glad that and it some was of that pressure root
0: in the first inning exactly. like he's, he's had interventions at timely points throughout yeah, the series and, and he
2: would have been player of the match um, at Adelaide in a, a, at a different time and, yeah. and just in terms of sort of underrated or un- unheralded performances in this match a note for Marcus Harris as well uh,
0: who, who outscored England England outscored in England. the second innings were outscored by Marcus Harris Yeah, he made, the, he made the least convincing player in the Australian 11 the one who's had the toughest series to date outscored England yeah, on his own
2: and what a nuggety innings it was Clichéd as that might be to say I thought the way that he committed himself to the task yesterday against Anderson especially was commendable and getting to the other end, yeah, it relies on a, a little bit of luck as it always will when getting to seventy six at Test level. But he's been out of luck and, and that's the that's the roller coaster of Test cricket managing the emotions and mm. as um as Pat Cummins said on, the, on our interview on commentary after the game, it'll be Marcus Harris who will lead the celebrations tonight and, mm. and they, they, they are invested in him becoming the sort of player they hope he can be at test level. And this might be... He didn't make 100, but it might be a turning point for him.
0: It might be. The final word, Hall of Fame, where we pick the most final word moment of the day. And I, I know we've talked about Scott Boland on the previous two days, but I wrote about him last night. Even I couldn't have predicted that it would go this right, this drastically right on this day. Now the Johnny Muller medal got minted a few years ago for the the best player on ground in the Boxing Day Test. Johnny Muller's real name was Unaraman. He was an Aboriginal player from the Western District in Western Victoria in the 1860s and 70s And, and he's the inspiration. He was such a wonderful cricketer. He was the inspiration for this medal. He played at the MCG in the 1800s and for Australia where Aboriginal and Indigenous participation in cricket has been such a desert over the entire journey. Two men and two women in Test cricket over 144 years. For Scott Boland to come in, to be the second man to be on his debut and to put in that performance, and he's from the Western District as well, for him to take home that medal, names for an and for it to be hung around his neck. I mean, it is, it is incredibly moving that that happened. Uh, you couldn't have scripted that any better. It, it's an extraordinary thing to happen at the MCG.
2: Yeah, moving's the right word. I was deeply moved by it, and I was so glad it went that way. I suppose it couldn't go any other way after the spell this morning, but... You know, reconciliation is the great unfinished business of our country. I'm not the first person to say that, but it's palpably true. Martin Flanagan wrote of the 1993 Grand Final that the that the entire day here at the Melbourne Cricket Ground was was one of Australia's great, albeit unrecognised, reconciliation ceremonies. And in my initial thinking today when Scott Boland was being recognised was that this sits right alongside that, as it did when Arnie Joy read out his name and the entire Southern stand just, I mean, it was ferocious, that that roar, um, the way he was recognised throughout the week. Yeah, he's a Victorian but there was more to it I think and it was an impactful thing that happened today. It was something that will live long in the sporting consciousness and I think more broadly than that as well what a tremendous thing to happen and and a nod to Cricket Australia as well on this they've they've put in the hard yards when it comes to doing their bit in recent years on including more Indigenous players in the system where at all possible we've had interviews on the show before including with Dan Christian about this very topic the team they took to England but but Boland was part of in in 2018 even just in terms of the language the fact that they no longer use Australia Day um, for January 26 Mm. they have consistently in the last Generation or so acknowledge that not enough has been done. Uh, the reconciliation action plan—they've had two versions of that—and I know that's not linked to what Boland did between the 22 yards that matter most today, but it complements it beautifully. Yeah, it's
0: it's a it's a moment of significance that we'll look back on, and I think it will become more apparent how significant it was in years to come. Well, it's a, a beautiful afternoon in Melbourne. It's an open afternoon, an empty afternoon, no cricket. No more work left to do Uh, in the middle of the third day, what should be the the second session of the Boxing Day Test match. Uh, What an extraordinary thing that's happened. If you're listening in from the UK and feeling disconsolate in the middle of the night where it's dark and it's cold and uh, there's not much cheer to be had from following the cricket, our thoughts go out to you. If you're feeling good in Australia and uh, happy and festive, then we're with you as well. All we can do is go off and enjoy this afternoon. It would be irresponsible not to, Adam, <laughs> for the sake of everybody
2: else. We have many shows coming up during uh, the break between now and Sydney. Weekly shows, a history show, which is called Story Time, uh, where we talked about Johnny Muller in the past. And um, if you want a reference point to that, get in touch with us on social media. We can refer you there. Patreon.com forward slash the final word is uh, where you can support what we do financially as well. Uh, and I think that's just about it.
0: I think that's it. It's the Ashes Daily. Uh, Thank Thanks to Dave Collins, who's been doing all the editing. We will see you with the Ashes Daily uh, from Sydney, if not before. Final word, Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. Take care. ta
1: that's it for today. Thanks from Jeff, Adam and me for listening. We will see you back here on January the 5th for the fourth Test Match from Sydney. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Sophia Tarek and The Final Word is produced by Bad Producer Productions and edited by James Hurley. The executive producers are Melanie Tate and Gabrielle Jackson.